Genesis 22 this evening. Genesis 22. And we're now come to what I've called the ultimate test for Abraham. And God has been leading up to all of this moment in Abraham's life to bring him to this life-changing moment where all the failures, successes in his life are going to lead him to this apex, spiritual apex, where he makes this choice to obey God despite the consequences. It says, And it came to pass after these things. Now, time you say these things, what things? After all the years of his experiences with God, after all the years of pilgrimage with God, after all the setbacks, but also the successes, after the birth of Isaac and how he had to obey God and put Ishmael out of the house. So Abraham's spiritually at a high point here. Things are going well for him. Isaac's growing up. Maybe something. He's 20, 25 years of age. It says, after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, the word tempt there doesn't mean God tempted him to sin. It has more the idea of tested him. But of course, in every testing of God, there's a temptation of the devil. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and cleave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiply I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. We'll end the reading at verse 18 of this chapter. Now, this incident comes at a moment in Abraham's life when he had learned the hard way by trials and tribulations that walking by faith and obedience is the best way for the life of the child of God. And although this lesson that he has learned was a painful lesson. Times brought him humiliation. He has come to this point in his walk with God where he's now aware this is the best choice. God's way is the best way. Now, not every believer gets there. Lot never got there. But Abraham came to this point. And he had learned over these years that he had walked with God that nothing's impossible with God, that God's word can be trusted, that God's promises can be trusted. But now Abraham's faith is going to grow in a very special way. It's going to be tested in a very special way because he's going to learn what, at least an insight into the cost of the father giving up his son to die on the cross for sin. And when you read this chapter, it's replete with typology about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear, that what you're seeing here is more than simply a story of one man's faith being tested. That what you're seeing in this incident is God demonstrating in a type, in a pattern, in a picture, of what God himself will do to his son, his only son, for sinners like you and I. And Abraham's going to learn. He's going to get a little insight into the cost of the father in giving up his son. Now, the words that Abraham heard in verse 2 must have been a tremendous shock to Abraham. He had waited all these years for a son, a child, never mind a son, through Sarah. And then God speaks to him. And we don't know how long it was between chapter 21 and 22. Some say it was, it was decades. Because you notice in chapter 23, verse 1, Sarah is 127 years of age. So 37 years had gone between the birth of Isaac and the death of Sarah in those two chapters. So Isaac could be anywhere between 10, 15, even 25 years of age when this particular incident came in Abraham's life. And God's going to push Abraham to a degree he never imagined 
God would test him. Because God says, take now thy son. It's very specific. Now, Abraham has many, many sheep. No doubt he'd be willing to give them all to God if God asked him. No doubt Abraham would be willing to give his own life if God asked him. But God doesn't ask him to do that. He says, take thy son. And then he emphasizes how difficult this is going to be. And he emphasizes that God knows how painful this is going to be. Because he says, thine only son. And then he adds this, whom thou lovest. And even just in that statement, God is reassuring Abraham about what's coming next, that God fully understands what's involved here. This is not a mistake. And he says, take your son and get thee into the land of Moriah, a very specific place, and there offer him for there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee all. Now, this test of faith will stretch Abraham's faith to its very limit, won't it? Parents will do anything for their children, particularly when it's an only child. And God knows this is going to be a terrible trial for Abraham, and he's got a choice, hasn't he? To obey or delay. What will he do? Now, there are a number of ways within that that Abraham could have delayed. He could have said, well, this doesn't make sense. What I know about God, God gave me this son, and he said this son would be the child of the promise, and this clearly is a mistake. No doubt the devil whispered that into his ear. He could have said, maybe this is not God speaking to me at all. Persuaded himself this was the devil or someone else. He could have said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give an alternative sacrifice. I'll make sure it's a good animal. In fact, I'll take a lot of animals. He could have said, well, I will obey, but only after God gives me a detailed explanation. As I said, I'm sure Satan would have whispered all those things into his ear. But Abraham reacted in none of those ways. In fact, you see how Abraham has changed. If you remember chapter 21, in verse 14, after God spoke to him about Ishmael. And that was an awful painful loss for Abraham. In fact, the Bible said it was very grievous, very hurtful. And God says to him, Ishmael has to go. Hagar has to go. Notice what it says in verse 14, chapter 21. And he rose up early in the morning. And we commended him for that. He, he'd learned that the best way to obey, to obey God's will is to do it right away to do it without equivocation, to do it without delay, to do it without question, to do it without arguing, to do it without saying, Lord, I need a bit more information, just to obey. Now, he'd learned that the hard way, because he didn't always obey like that. 
But now in chapter 22, it's an even harder thing. It's bad enough to lose Ishmael. But now he has to lose Isaac. And yet, verse 3 of chapter 22 says, And he rose up early in the morning. This man's now developing a consistency. One walk with God, one great act of faith is now leading to another greater act of faith. And you, you'll see that in the scriptures as a man or a woman walks with God, God begins to strengthen and stretch and develop their faith and you see a consistency. Read Daniel from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6 and you'll see a man from his teenage years to old age, 70 years covered. And you see Daniel so consistent, walking with God. As a teenager, middle-aged, before Belshazzar, and then as an old man under the Persians when the threat of the den of lions comes, Daniel's just consistent, just keeps obeying right away. No arguing with God, no debating with God. Daniel is a man who from young has learned the habit to obey God and that habit stays with him. And now Abraham's developing that habit. Now it must have been a very, very hard thing for Abraham to do. But you notice it says in verse 3, he not uprose up early in the morning, he saddled the ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Did everything that God said. But then something else makes it even more challenging. It says, verse 4, Then on the third day, so now three days have passed, and all these thoughts are coming over and over again into Abraham. Take your son, offer him up as a burnt offering on the place that God has commanded. And God doesn't speak again. You notice throughout these three days, we don't read of God coming to Abraham to reassure him, to restate the command to him. He just says, dude, just spoke the one time. And Abraham is going on this three days and you can feel the tension in the story, can't you? And the suspense. And when he comes to the place that God has spoken, he says to the young men, stay here, abide ye here with the ass. And Abraham immediately understood the spiritual significance of what was going to happen. Because notice what he says in verse 5. He says, says, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, and notice the next two words, and worship. Worship. He didn't understand everything, but he understood this, that what God had asked him to do that day was an act of worship. There was a deep spiritual significance to it. And he was content to leave the explanation with God and know that somehow God would work all things together for good, that God makes no mistakes. But something else in that verse, well, I didn't read, 
which tells us a little bit more of what was going on in Abraham's mind. Because it says that Abraham said, we will go yonder and worship, and then there's a comma. And then we get another statement. And come again to you. The lad and I will go and worship, and the lad and I will come again to you. Now, what was Abraham basing that confidence on? Was it a lucky yes? Was it just blind optimism? Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, in the New Testament, we're given a deeper insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind at that very moment. Look at verse 17 to 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. And whose heart begins by faith. So as Abraham went on this journey, made his approach to Mount Moriah, he was not in a panic. He was not going with total darkness in his soul about what was about to occur. He went by faith. Now, what was his faith? It says, by faith, Abraham, when he had sighed, or when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, why did Abraham, what was Abraham thinking as he made this approach to Mount Moriah? Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure or type or pattern. Now, two things there. Number one, Abraham understood that God had sent him there with Isaac to be a pattern of the coming Savior. He understood. There was, he may not have understood every single detail that Christ would be born in Bethlehem and all the rest of it that we know from looking back through the gospel accounts with the hindsight of history. But he understood this, that Isaac was going to be a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. That's why he says we're going to worship. But then the second thing that's evident that Abraham knew by faith says accounting that God was able to raise him up. Abraham reasoned this way from the... Now, when we think about this statement, remember, up to this point in world history, not a single person had come back from the dead. And yet Abraham believed that if God was able to give life to dust and create a man, if God was able to put a baby in the womb of a 90-year-old woman, Sarah, by a miracle, the same God could raise Isaac again from the dead. Didn't know how. He just understood by logic that with God, all things are possible. Now, as I said, there is no precedent in the history of the planet until this point. 
Everybody was born and everybody died. And nobody came back from the dead. But yet Abraham believed God could do it. Not only that, God would do it. If God wanted him to plunge a knife into Isaac, it wouldn't be the end of Isaac because God had promised Isaac would be the child of the covenant. From Isaac, all your seed would be called. So Abraham, he didn't understand how or why God was doing this. He understood there was a spiritual dimension to it, but he didn't understand how God would raise him up from the dead, but he knew he had to because God couldn't break his promise. And with that knowledge, not faith, he took Isaac to Mount Moriah. Now, you can be sure the devil was saying to him, you're crazy. You're just hearing voices, Abraham. You're an old man. Maybe you've got a wee touch of old age. Starting to hear things. Think, think, think. I'm sure the devil was saying to him, how are you going to ever explain this to Sarah? And I'm sure the devil was saying to him, no one's ever come back from the dead, Abraham. You're a crazy man. God would never ask this. Too much, too far. But no. Abraham, in the midst of this great spiritual battle that must have raged in his soul and his mind, the Bible says he went by faith. Believing God, that God's character and God's promises would be vindicated in this matter, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Despite all the evidence of human history that no one's ever come back from the dead, Abraham says, I believe God, and his thoughts were centered on God's glory and nothing else. Now, this is a different Abraham, isn't it? We saw at the very beginning when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, how partial he was in his obedience. We saw how when trouble came, the famine came to Canaan, he ran down to Egypt. We saw how when he got to Egypt, he lied, deceived. We saw how he thought he could help God out by taking Hagar as his wife. But here's a different Abraham. Here's an Abraham that says, I'm just going to believe God. Despite the evidence. Despite what the devil says. In fact, his explanation to Isaac was so true. Isaac says, Dad, my father, he says, I see the fire, I see the wood. He says, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham's reply to Isaac was so full of wisdom. He just says, verse 8, my son, God will provide a lamb for a burnt off. He says, trust God, Judge. Don't trust Abraham. Trust God. And he will provide. And sure enough, God provided, didn't he? In fact, Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. Now what happens? Ties Isaac to the altar. Takes the knife. And just as he's about to plunge a knife, God's Shouts to him, Abraham, Abraham. There's no need to go any further. 
God says, Isaac's going to be an imperfect sacrifice. He, he's a type of Christ, but he's not the Christ. Stop here. The test is over. Nothing is needed any further. And God explains in verse 12 the reason for this test. He says, For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from thee. God says, The real reason that I put you through this test, Abraham, is to show that there are no idols left in Abraham's life. God's first. Now, please note this. Uh, I note it in a very personal way. When God brings a person through tests, as he always does every child of his, he doesn't do it so that God can discover what your faith is or how far your faith can be stretched. God already knows your faith and how far it can be tested and stretched. It's you that needs to know. And there's others that need to know by observing it. And this test God is putting Abraham through so that everybody, including Abraham, and especially Abraham, will know that this idol of Isaac, or potential idol, is not one that's in Abraham's heart. And that day Abraham learnt that he truly was a man who followed the Lord, loved the Lord with all his heart and his soul and his mind and his body. He was truly a man of God. And that's why when we come through the Scriptures, they keep referring to Abraham as the father of the faith. Because that's the faith that God's looking for when a man or a woman comes to a point where they can say, it's God first. It's God's wills first, God's glory first. Then you become a son of faithful Abraham. When you reach that point. Now, the fact that Abraham reached this point, let me just say this in passing, is evidence that you and I could reach this point. You know, sometimes you read these stories of this guy Abraham up here. I'll never get there. But remember, all the chapters that precede this chapter demonstrate that this man was not a perfect man. Demonstrate that this man was fallible and flawed like you and me. But the fact that he got there is proof and evidence, if ever was needed, that you and I could get there. We just have to be willing to be like Abraham. Now, what happens next? God provides a ram. And then Abraham responds in verse 14, and he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And then God responds again to Abraham. The second time, verse 15. Sometimes this is overlooked in the story. And he says to Abraham, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. 
And I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So God intensifies these blessings he'd already given to Abraham, restates them. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the greatest man on this earth, humanly speaking, of fallen humanity. And isn't it interesting today that all the three great religions of the world, so-called by society, are called what religions? The Abrahamic religions. Huh? The Islamic people, the Jewish people, and the Christian people all look back to Abraham as the father of their people. God has kept his word to Abraham. He's honored him. Down through the centuries, this old man with his sheep and his goats and his animals, his cows, God has elevated this man far beyond any president, emperor, to be a man that his name is known on every continent of this earth and is looked back to with honor on every continent of this earth. And his descendants continue to be a blessing to this planet. If you used your mobile phone on the way here, it was Abraham's descendants that provided the technology for you to use your mobile phone. And I could just go on and list all the various things that the descendants of Abraham, just through the Jewish people. But of course, we have to come to the greatest blessing. Because the greatest blessing to this planet, through Abraham, came 2,000 years ago, when in a little stable in Bethlehem, a child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, a son of Abraham, came to be the saviour of the world. And his name is all over this planet. We even divide our calendar by it, A.D. and B.C. And everybody knows who he is. And what he has provided for this planet the whole world is looking for forgiveness, peace, satisfaction, meaning, and a purpose. Now, some of them are refusing to bow the knee to him, but they're still looking for what he provides, aren't they? Just looking in the wrong places. But Abraham's descendants have been a blessing and continue to be a blessing. And God says, I will multiply your seed. Now, it didn't look very attractive. There was only Abraham and Isaac. It didn't look as if there was going to be a great number. But 3,000 years later, we can look back and say, yeah, God kept his word. Every single promise to this man, Abraham, and he shall possess the gate of his enemies. Not only has God preserved the descendants of Abraham, he has given them victory after victory over their enemies. 
And although at times they have risen and fallen in terms of their position within society, yet they are not removed, eradicated. And today the flag of the Star of David flies proudly over their nation. And it will never be eradicated. Because who's coming back to Jerusalem? Whose feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives? The Jewish Saviour in his second coming, the descendant of Abraham, will come back. Who to? To the Jewish people. Zechariah 12 verse 10 is in the book. And they're already there waiting for him in Jerusalem tonight. God keeps every one of his promises. Now, this story is one of the most familiar of all of Scripture. But it's one that is full of lessons, isn't it? Full of meaning. Not just to the Jews, but to us, the spiritual descendants of Abraham. How that it's always better to trust God over your feelings. Always better to trust God and his promises even if there's no explanation. Abraham learned the hard way. What David said in the Psalms, as for God, his way is perfect. You can never improve upon perfection. You ever think about that? All you can do if you try to amend perfection is make it imperfect. So the only way to find a perfect way to live your life is to follow God's way. As for God, his way is perfect. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this great chapter that shows to us the Lord Jesus Christ in this great picture of Abraham taking his son, his only son, his beloved son, and taking him to Mount Moriah, outside the city of David, in Jerusalem, and there putting him on an altar as a picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that although Isaac was imperfect, there was a perfect sacrifice that did come. And although Isaac was spared the knife, the perfect type or antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took the knife. He took the death. He took the pain. And he gave his life for our life. What Isaac couldn't do, Christ fulfilled in his perfect death. And Lord, help us to learn all these lessons from this story and apply them to our lives. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, as the hymn writers, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. For these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.